We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. mailbag time mr roberts and a lot of questions about obviously the offensive coordinator position so we'll get back to those as well the triumphant return of tommy guns in the words of the great sloth from the goonies hey you guys so uh thank you for the super chat tommy we appreciate you very 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 much that's the only super chat we have ryan so we're gonna get right to the top here Uh, john a1 says if Gerald, if Jared Parker was named co-oc with Dylan mccullough as the run game coordinator who would be a great qb coach fits that's a completely different conversation, isn't it? I mean, so mm-hmm. we're so John, as we're talking, like, yes, we have talked a lot about Jared Parker being in that conversation, right? Having that potential and getting a look as potentially the offensive coordinator. But for the most part, Brian, I mean, the candidates that we have broken down extensively and done our homework on are guys that do have a quarterback background, right? Because it's kind of assumed that more, most, most likely you're bringing in an offensive coordinator that is also has the background of developing and coaching quarterbacks. So honestly, John, like I feel like if this does happen, the Jared, if Jared Parker does ultimately become the offense co-offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, I think that we would have to kind of get back to the drawing board as a staff and just kind of go, okay, who are your quarterback coaches now that you're taking a look at? Cause obviously you'll still have that one opening on the offensive coaching staff. And I don't, and that, that, that formula is going to change a little bit, right? Because the guys we're talking about aren't going to come to Notre Dame just to be a quarterback coach, right? They would come to be an offensive coordinator. So I think that honestly, that conversation and that narrowing down of a list would have to come after that becomes a reality. Cause right now you have to cover quarterback coaches that are also offensive coordinator candidates. You can't just look at just one specific right now. I, I know it's a little bit of a move away from the question, but I, I just honestly have not done enough of a track. I like, breaking down guys that would just be quarterback coaches potentially. Because our focus has been on coordinators. Yes. Guys that would come in here and be coordinated. Like Joe Brady's not leaving the Buffalo Bills as the quarterback's coach working with Josh Allen to come to Notre Dame to be the quarterback's coach working with Sam Hartman. With all due respect to Sam Hartman and C.J. Carr and Kenny Minchie, you're just not doing that. I'm currently an assistant coach for one of the best quarterbacks in the game, and I don't have to recruit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's coach. That's it. So you're, you're just not going to see it. But look, there's guys out there, John, 
there's plenty of guys out there. And that's that's an easier find to me than a coordinator, to be completely honest with you. Position coaches at, at most positions. I think running back, offensive line is the exception. You, you find a lot of good position coaches out there. It's got to find a guy that wants the job and is willing to put in the work. Because remember, Brian Ke- one of Brian Kelly's uh, uh, quarterback coaches during his tenure in Notre Dame was Matt LaFleur, who's the current head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Yep. Guess what? Matt LaFleur didn't want to be here. So he did a good job coaching the quarterbacks. He did nothing on the recruiting trail. Nothing. Yeah. Right? So you got to make sure you find a guy that wants to be here. And you find that, and then they'll, they'll be fine. They'll I, I be will fine. say this, Brian. Sean Payton – it kind of axed the Russell Wilson thing, so Jay Keeps might be available. If uh... Man, so you're just trying to you're just trying to tweak my nerves today, so I texted Ryan yesterday, and I didn't know this was true because I just didn't pay attention to the Broncos this year because I knew they were going to be terrible. And I'm I'm praying that I'm wrong about Sean Payton. I hope he's the guy, man. I really do because I I, I, I do like to... that stipulation that he put out there early. Yeah. I think that's a very good. Well, idea I didn't know this So apparently, Russell Wilson had a private, a personal quarterbacks coach that was in the building with them and meeting they had like their own film room all this crazy stuff which I, I cannot believe they allowed that to be a thing and so like the things i've read is like nathaniel hackett was just trying to be like everybody's buddy and just like you just can't you just can't do that and so sean payton when he was asked it, it wasn't even that what he said like what he said was kind of normal that's you know it's foreign to me and that won't be the case and stuff. but his look on his face he's like seriously this this is a thing i was like yeah that's not happening it's not happening. And then I found out who the quarterback's coach was as Jake Heaps. And I was like, oh, that explains why Russell Wilson was not good this year. Because he had Jake Heaps as his personal quarterback's coach. But, yeah, talk about absolute dysfunction. Man, that's just not a good situation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Tommy Gunn says for the mailbag, obviously it's Freeman's team, but how much of an input do you think he allows the rest of the offensive staff? Blind yes, no vote. It'll be much more than a blind yes, no vote. They will be they will be recommending people to him. 
they will be very important during the interview, pro the vetting and interviewing process. I guarantee you they're breaking down film. I guarantee you. Now, again, I don't know this for a fact, but I know how these things normally go. I guarantee you that as Marcus Freeman gets names that he thinks might have some level of interest, hey, Coach Stan, watch their run game. Hey, Coach Parker. Hey, Coach Stuckey. I want you guys to watch their pass game. Coach McCullough, you also watch their run game. You do. You watch how their fundamentals, how are, are they fundamentally sound? What kind of tempo do they play with? I promise you the Notre Dame assistant coaches, once they start zeroing in on guys that, they're, that he's interested in, will be looking at the film. And we'll have a very good say, a, important say on who they want to work with. Because here's the thing. One of the questions that we were asked uh, down here from DC Irish 1213 was, will a new OC bring in his own guys on the offensive side of the staff, or we keep he Stan, Stucky, Dylan, Parker, et cetera, regardless? He will be keeping those guys regardless because that's what Marcus Freeman wants. And that's exactly what happened on defense last year. The, you know, there was a one position, uh, one of the, the stumbling blocks with John Heacock was, it was John, right? I always get the two yeah. Heacock. Okay. As John Heacock was, he wanted to bring in some of his own coaches. Coach Freeman was like, nope, this is the staff that you'll be working with. And I don't have a problem with either one of them doing that. Coach Freeman had a staff he was comfortable with. Coach Heacock wants to bring in his own guys. I think they're both right. So what did that mean? It means it just wasn't a fit, right? There's no wrong answer there. It's like, this is what you want. This is what you want. It's not a fit. All good. Love you. Best of luck to you at Iowa State. It didn't go well for Iowa State this year. You know, but this is the offensive staff they're going to have. Unless one of them chooses to leave, this is the staff they're going to have. And, and you're going to need an OC that's going to want to work with them. So they will have a say, no question. Because if that guy can't fit with this staff, then it's just not going to work. Well, and I, I talked about that during the, the main side of the podcast here was that you have to make sure those things mesh, right? Because – you have the offensive coaching staff in place. And again, I go back to the personalities, right? Like Dylan McCullough is a big personality. Chancey Suck is a big personality. Not in a bad way. It's just they are talkative, outgoing people. You need to make sure that the guy leading them can mesh with those personalities. You need to make sure that Harry Heastan gives you that check of approval, right? Like you need him to be comfortable with whoever the next offensive coordinator is. So, yeah, you have great resources around him. And you for the next potential offensive coordinator, you have a lot of, of resources to help them be a great offensive coordinator and for them to be successful. But ultimately, they also need to mesh with the staff because the staff is in place and you have a very – the best word I can say is that like you need the check of approval from those guys because you already have the infrastructure. You just need the guy now leading the, the decisions on the offensive side of the football. So I think that's paramount that he fits with the existing offensive staff because you have a great offensive staff. I don't think anybody would push back against that. You have some dudes coaching on the offensive side of the football, and you need them to be a part of the answer or else things are going to get hairy in a little bit, really quickly, I should say. Tommy said that he wanted his super chat to be an impression of sloth from Goonies. Here's the problem, dude. Number one, I've never seen Goonies. Number seen two, mm -mm. Uh, if I did, I did it when I was a kid, and I don't remember it. So I might have watched it as a child. I just don't remember it. it. It wasn't a memorable movie to me. Number two, I don't do impressions. So and 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 number three, ten dollars is not enough of a super chat to get me to do an impression. I was going to ask what the price would be for an impression. There needs to be at least three numbers before the dot in the sense. Okay, because you know someone's going to clip it. Don't someone's going to okay. clip it and put it on Twitter sure. or YouTube sure. or something. Sure. Like that. So yeah. you're going to make yeah. it worth my while and 10 bucks ain't it. We appreciate it for mm -hmm. a question, but 10 bucks ain't enough to get me an impression. So sorry. Sorry, folks. It just ain't happening. 
just ain't happening. So let's let's get down to some more questions here. We've got one from uh, Kata. It says, do you think Reese would ever come back to Notre Dame for head coaching job in the future? I think he is an ND in and out, but his career needed to be furthered. Love the show. Go Irish. Yeah, I don't I don't look at it that way, honestly. I don't buy the whole he needed to go and and spread his wings. And I don't agree with that. I I you know, why? And what 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 does that say about oh Notre Dame's not good enough to develop you that way? You've got to go to Alabama and learn that. Okay. I mean, I don't have a problem with you doing that. If that's what you feel is best for you, then do what you got to do. I don't agree with it, but I'm not upset about it. But I don't think it's this whole thing where we just pass it off like, well, it just it had to be done. Right. So, number two, I, I don't know if Tom Reese wants to be a college coach. I mean, I think his whole I, thing is working towards being an NFL coach, and if he was going to come to college, it would most likely be because things didn't necessarily go well for him in the NFL, and I don't know if that's where you'd want to be. And I, last thing, Ryan, I don't know if he has yep. a temperament to be head coach, at least not right now. That He's only 31, so that I promise you I have a different temperament now than I did when I was 31. I promise you that. And But as of right now, I don't think he has a temperament to be head coach, but that may change working for Nick Saban and then going to the National Football League. Well, I was actually going to ask you because we we've talked in nauseam about you know Tommy Reese wants to get to the NFL and that's his track and that's what he wants to do and more power to you, sir. Go do what you got to do. But I I personally don't see him as a head coach right now. I mean, again, right. to your point, it could change, but I mean, you know Tommy a little bit better than I do, obviously. So I, I guess my question would be. Do you think his end goal is to be an NFL head coach, or do you think he just wants to be the offensive play caller? Like, I mean, I think he wants to be head coach. Yeah, I think he okay. wants to be head coach, and, and and I think he's got some traits to be a head coach. He, he's look, he's got a knowledge of the game. He understands the importance of putting a specific type of staff together. He understands the importance of building a roster a certain way, and, and that's where his dad's pedigree kind of comes into play because his dad was a team builder, a roster builder kind of thing. So I think he has that in him. I think right now the issues are experience, obviously, and temperament. I think those are the those are the issues. And I think that's where the NFL is a little bit better for a head coach because the NFL, there's less, depending on who you are, there's less of a team-building role. It's, hey, go get me a running back. And then the GM goes and gets the running back. And you tell me who I need to go talk to and all that. And, you know, I'll watch some film and tell you who I want or whatever. But it's just a different animal than having to be like a college coach where you got to be on the road recruiting all the time and, so yes, I think he'll, he'll. That's a desire of his, and, and I think he has some of the traits to do that. There's just other traits right now that he doesn't have. And to be honest, as I said before, a lot of 31 year olds don't have that temperament, right? The Sean McVays are are unique. The Kyle Shanahan's are unique. They're rare, and and you know, and, and to me, I just think he needs more time. I think he needs a little bit more maturity, and I think that's common. We saw that this year, Ryan. You and I have talked off the record about some of the things that I heard from people in November and in the offseason about how how he talked to players, how he treated players, changed even during this season, started to change. And I think that the the getting away from Brian Kelly helped him a ton. Because right. him and Brian Kelly have very similar personalities, and I think that brought out the worst in Tommy from a how-you-talk-to-player standpoint. Marcus Freeman's a little different. Look, Marcus Freeman's an intense coach. Don't don't think Marcus Freeman's out there singing kumbaya and giving hugs and pats on the butts every time a guy makes a mistake in practice. I promise you that's not the case. But there's just a different type of intensity there, a different type of how you talk to people there. And I think as as the year went on, Tommy realized, like, look, I'm the face of the offense now. Like, I, I, We're inconsistent with this, and maybe part of the reason is me. And and the fact that I'm not calm enough, and I'm not I'm, I'm not bringing people 
down to a level of that you want them to be at from a mental standpoint. You don't want them to be too amped up because then it's like you're thinking so fast and you're so fired up that you're just you're not clicking on all cylinders. And then you don't want to be too low to where you don't have the energy. You got to find that sweet spot. And I think he's still learning that. And a lot of coaches need to learn that. That's, you know, the first time I got out of coaching, Ryan, I was 26, I think, when I got out of coaching. And I can promise you that my temperament wasn't anywhere close to where I needed to be to be a head coach. I I interviewed for some head coaching jobs, but like, look back, I'm like, it was kind of a blessing I didn't get them because I don't know how well I would have done. I still very much had that um, just, you know, maybe I would have learned on the fly a little bit, but I just, I needed to kind of chill out a little bit because what you need to be as a pass game coordinator as a position coach is a little different than what you need to be as a coordinator or as a head coach when you're the face of the program. And that comes over time, you know, and I just don't think he's there yet, but I think there are traits there that could let him be that kind of guy. I just don't know if I'd want it to be at Notre Dame, to be honest with you. I just, I just don't know if that's where I'm at. Um, TB12 for Heisman asks, is Joe Brady a legitimate candidate at this point? If you mean legitimate from the standpoint of there's interest on both sides to some degree, I believe that he is. Is it legit interest in the fact that I'd get high odds of him being the guy right now? Definitely not. Um, I think that there's at least been some conversations. I don't think that he has a lot of interest in coming back to college as of right now. And that's where we're at. Has yep. the door been shut as of last night? No, it had not. But it's it's not likely. So we're going to still talk about him, but we don't talk about him from the standpoint of like, hey, I think this is going to be the guy. I think this is going to be the guy. I think this, that's not where we're at. Because number one, there is no guy right now. There's a group of guys that Marcus Freeman is vetting and doing you know, his due diligence on, and then he'll figure out which ones are the best fits from there and who was interested from there. I don't expect Joe Brady to be one of those guys, if I was to predict right now, I would not predict that. If he is, it means Marcus Freeman has done his best recruiting job yet. <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I don't expect him to be one of those guys. Because, I mean, you've talked about this already, that Marcus Freeman has had a relationship with Joe Brady, right? So, Not like they're like could... best friends, but I do right. believe that they're, they, they know each other, they've talked, they have, they have uh, some level of a, of a connection. And I would, and I think that you hit a great point, right? If you convince Joe Brady to come back and be your offensive coordinator, if you have so much of a well thought out pitch of where Notre Dame is going and how they could help him get there, and man, that's impressive. I mean, we've lauded uh, Coach Freeman's abilities as a recruiter just on the high school side of things, but if he's able to attract a guy like a Joe Brady, I mean. Notre Dame fans need to be excited because that is that would be a massive get just from the fact that the odds are stacked against you even being in that conversation, right? So, yeah, I'm just excited. I, I really am excited, man. I want to see who the next guy is just because I think that – I think Marcus Freeman is building such a culture of just wanting to be a part of it right now, and it's, it's exciting to me. It really is. Next question. I want to address this one. This is really fun because we actually get asked that. Um, somebody said uh, – Irish Falcon says, this ain't no joke, Brian. What would it take from Notre Dame for you to become OC? It would take Marcus Freeman making a horrible decision. That's what it would take. Look, I know football. I've coached people I've coached with that I think I was on their level are coaching at the Division I level now. I do believe that I could have got to that level had I stuck with it and kept, kept going, but I didn't. You know, I stopped coaching when I was 26, 27 years old, got back into it for a couple of years at the Division Three level. 
it would be a terrible decision to hire. It'd be like hiring Jerry Faust as the head coach of Notre Dame back in, you know, was it 1981, right? There are so many more qualified candidates for me to become, to be the offensive coordinator. So I know people ask this, but um, I am very good. I believe at what I do, that's analyzing, that's, that's knowing the game, studying film, doing breakdowns and things like that. But that is a whole different animal than going from that to be an offensive coordinator when I haven't coached football in almost 10 years, you know? So um, I appreciate that, but that's not happening, nor should it happen. <laughs> like if, if, if Marcus Freeman calls and Hey, Brian, I like to, I would say, Hey, look, man, I, I respect you and I want you to succeed. So no, <laughs> for your benefit, I'm saying no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that would never happen. So it, it's appreciated, but it's not, it's not a real thing, nor is it a job I would want because I, I wouldn't be as good at it as you need to be at a place like Notre Dame, to be honest with you. It's just not where I want to be. Brandon Plesner with a super chat. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, B. Ryan, when discussing these OC candidates, can you mention what kind of run game they like to use? If you know, do they like zone, gap scheme, duo, et cetera? It's a fair question, Ryan. Yeah. Um, like, for example, Sean Lewis is more of a gap scheme guy, counter. They'll run some read zone, but it's more of a true college spread. You know, they'll run a lot of tackle pulls, they'll run a lot of backside counter, a lot of gap stuff. Uh, with some inside zone type of stuff, outside zone type of stuff, buck sweep, buck sweep type of stuff. Is that a fair assessment of what you've seen on film from him as well? Yep. And, some, Andy, some quarterback power yeah, type of stuff too. Yeah. Yep. Andy Ludwig is very much similar to what Harry Heastand is, inside, outside zone, counter, power, some power stuff, but more inside, outside yep. zone, uh, counter type of things, RPO stuff off of it. He's very diverse. Andy Ludwig yeah. is a very – first run guy yeah which is a lot of it fits with what it's it's not too far off from what chip long did you know inside outside zone plus g scheme buck sweep counter uh things along those lines i mean joe brady i I don't know if we know what his run game is he was inherited a run game yeah i I, did but that was more of what lsu was already doing more so than him saying hey we're going to change our run game he was the pass game coordinator on the team not the offensive coordinator but Ryan, you can, can talk about what they did that year. However, yeah, I mean they were they so they were a lot more out of the gun than they had been a previous couple of years, right? Like they were a heavy power run scheme basically before that. Brandon, a lot of gap stuff, and they LSU in 2019 anyway was much more. Joe Burrow's going to be in the gun. We're going to run a lot of inside zone type of stuff, some outside zone depending on which the run which running back they were using. There was some pin and pull stuff, but for the most part, they were an inside zone team because. LSU that year, I mean, everyone thinks about like the outside verticals to guys like Jamar Chase, but they also ran a lot of RPOs that year too, right? So they were working a little bit off that inside zone and getting the ball out quick. So they were a heavy zone team in 2019. But to Brian's point, you don't really know 100% because I didn't really watch too much of Carolina when Joe Brady was the coach. So I can't really comment on what they ran there. I'm not really 100% sure on that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the other guys we've talked about. Uh, Jason Candle, we talked about the other day. He's done he's done different types of things. He's been a very spread, you know, uh, when we talk about spread run game, it means there's a lot of movement from the line, a lot of tackle. There's a lot of G-wraps, a lot of tackle traps, a lot of stuff like that where you're kind of securing the backside with your quarterback and RPOs, right? Quarterback run and RPOs. Whereas a more traditional pro style run game is going to use their tight end more to secure backside gaps. It's more of a non read zone type of thing. 
um, not as much of the the G wraps and the tackle pulls and those type of the, the pin and pull. There's just not as much of that. Um, so, and then a pro, a, a pro style scheme could also be, that's if it's a zone scheme, if it's a pro scheme, it's more power counter, you know, down block kick out type of stuff, as opposed to the, the wraps, you know what I mean? Like the difference, Ryan, it's like, obviously on a power play, your backside guard is wrapping around, but it's a different animal than, than what you're doing if you're running Lincoln Riley's, you know, G wrap scheme. It's just a different animal. Right. Yep. And so uh, that's kind of what I'm referring to there. I'm trying to think of some of these other guys we've talked Joe, about. Joe, Joe, Joe Moorhead's been a pretty diverse person. Yeah. He's been pretty diverse in the run game. Over his they run career. a lot of zone, a lot, a lot of, of quarterback zone. read. Especially you know. at Penn State. Yeah. A lot of zone at Penn State. A lot of zone. Yep. I think it also depends on what the running back is, the running back room that you have as well. I mean, like, Saquon Barkley was a zone runner, you know, like, you right. didn't want to. I mean, like he Tra- could do Travis some of the Dye gap was not. Stuff, yeah. yeah, Travis Dye was more of a gap scheme. You had to create the holes for him, and then he could hit it. Would you say that's accurate? I mean, they ran a lot yeah. more O-line pulls at, at Oregon than they did when he was at Penn State. And yes. then also you did a lot of read zone with uh, Trace McSorley too, and yep. a lot of RPOs with Trace McSorley as well. So those are the – and then Colin Klein, I mean, how would you assess that? I mean, there's a lot of zone in there. Right, but they also run some some wraps and some tackle pulls and things like that there as they well. Do. A lot of some misdirection with the line, yep. and there was a lot less quarterback running in the second half of the season with, than there well, was early. And, and again, I think that that's a little by design of who they had in the backfield because like Deuce Vaughn's one of those cats where like I want to run inside zone and outside zone because I want to give him options. Right, he can squirt yeah. out a, backside A, backside B, he can bend it all the way back. Like he can do a lot of different things. But then he also has the power implementation of the gap scheme, too, because the quarterback run game is obviously a big thing for him, right? So they're running quarterback power. They're doing some pin and pull to get to the perimeter, obviously. But for the most part, they were heavy inside-outside zone team with Deuce Vaughn because that's who he is, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. not – remember when Kansas State had that Daniel Thomas kid, for instance, a few years ago that was like 6'2", 230-something. It's like – you're not going to use that kid the same way that you're going to use the Deuce Vaughn and vice versa. So that's just kind of how those yeah. evolutions happen. Yep. Good question, Brandon. Very good question. And we'll try to think of that a little bit more as well. And, and when we get into the finalists, we'll, d- we'll take a deeper film breakdown into those, those guys for sure. Film room sounded fun when that yes. happens. Yes. All right. We got to that one. Here's one from uh, Archer four five two. Given Brian Ferentz's updated contract, less money escalator if the team averages twenty five points and hits seven wins. How can such blatant nepotism be accepted in major college athletics? That's a great question. He took a fifty thousand dollar pay cut. That's it. And then if they average twenty five points a game, which would have ranked him like what eighty fifth last year, he gets that money back. Yeah. Like that only happens because he's the coach's kid. That's it. And I, I, I really love Kirk Ferentz, and I know that it is like an impossible decision to fire your son. I get it, but like, man, tough decisions have to happen sometimes, right? Like, it's yes. just not great. It's not, you know, it's funny, Brian. I've seen Iowa fans complain as much about Phil Parker as I've seen them complain about Brian Ferentz, though. It is the most really? backwards universe. Yeah, that man. That's phenomenal. Like, Phil Parker is one of the best defense coordinators of college football. It's just such a backwards world we live in, man, where it's it, like, how weird. do you look at that and be like, oh, that's Phil Parker's fault? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. That is weird. There are yeah. literally people. Well, yeah, they, those people are not smart. They exist, man. Search it on those Twitter. People those people are not, exist. Not smart at all. No. Goodness gracious. But yeah, I, I just, that one is, it's a shame too, because he's had some really good teams lately that could have been contenders for the big 10 crown if they would have 
had a better offensive system, which would have then resulted in better quarterback recruiting. Yep. But man, their defenses the last couple of years, Ryan, have been disgustingly good. I mean, they're I, I, really good. I do like the quarterback that they brought in in 2023, Marco Linez. I hope they don't yeah, waste the kid him. Yeah, from Jersey. Yeah, yeah. They which they will him. if they still Probably have the same will. guy leading the offense. Yeah. His follow-up to that was, if Notre Dame had an offensive coordinator performing so poorly that they gave him an incentive to hit seven wins and 25 points per game, how big would the riots be in South Bend? They'd be huge. Yes. I mean, understandably so. I mean, it, yeah. Well, I mean, head, be- I'll say this. The head coach wouldn't have a job at that point in time. That should be most schools, right? Like most schools should riot if that was a situation you were in. Like that's so bad, man. It's just so bad. I honestly, Archer, it's a great question, but like I honestly am like having trouble for it to like sink in for a second because I'm like that's so bad. Twenty five points a game is like a a pretty good NFL number. College that is abysmal, man. That is awful. How bad? In the bottom third of the country at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, but it is a huge jump jump from where they were. They were at 17 points a game this year and won eight games. It's embarrassing. That was some of the <sighs> – I'll, I'll say this. Quarterback play was some of the worst I've ever seen. All due respect. I'm not trying to poop on you know the starting quarterback for them, but it was awful. Wide receivers weren't very good. Running game wasn't very good. One of the worst offensive lines, though, I've ever seen at Iowa. It was pathetically abysmal how bad they were offensively this year. Like It was just – it was unwatchable, man. They won a game, Brian. They won a game seven to three against South Dakota State. Who, mind you, South Dakota State won the FCS national championship. So a good team, very good team. Right. You won seven to three in which you didn't score a touchdown. Yes. Think about that. Yes. Think about that, please, guys. <laughs> Think about that. They scored seven points, and yes, because they had a field goal and two two safeties. Your defense scored more points that game than your offense, and the defense also didn't score a touchdown. And think you, about and that. You won. Think about that. And you yeah. won. Wild, but yeah. it's Phil Parker's fault. fault. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Goodness gracious. Frank McCatry says, just give Todd Munkin $3 million. That's the Grand Slam move. It would cost you a lot more than $3 million. I mean, it, like, it's not happening, right? Like, he's not yeah. coming to Notre Dame. If it were to happen, though, Frank, it would be a thing where it would cost you a lot more than $3 because you'd have to – there's a pretty – I would imagine a pretty substan- substantial buyout there to make that move. So I, I don't see that one happening. Uh, no, nor should it. I mean, there's other there's other moves to make where you don't have to invest that that amount of money into him, right? right. In my I mean, opinion, and I, mean, and I what, like Todd Munkin a lot. Yeah, exactly, it's, just, it's not going to happen. Would you love Todd Munkin in a vacuum for sure? But there is also you know the the cost versus acquisition versus right. production. Like there's that whole conversation that needs to happen too. I love Todd Munkin though. I would yeah. be ecstatic if he was the offense coordinator at Notre Dame. Like there's no doubt. Right. But there, it's one thing to like a guy. It's another thing to think it's the, the right moves to pursue that guy. Exactly. And I just, yeah. The other thing too, I, is sometimes you get into a, a battle like this, Frank, and you're, you're pursuing a guy that you're unlikely to get. And then in order to do it, you have to make it pretty, you got to make a pretty hard push. You can't hide it. And now every other coach on the board is going to be like, well, now I'm second fiddle to, to Todd Munkin and, and, you know, no, thanks. Because the thing you got to be careful of, coaches are making a lot more money now than they have in the past. Right. And you've got to be very careful that you're not doing things that, that say, hey, look, you're not offering the kind of money that, you know, that that maybe might say, hey, look, um, it's it's worth kind of maybe being embarrassed a little bit over. Right. I mean, that that's kind of the, the reality of it is it's not that type of deal. 
And so you look at a guy like Colin Klein, for example, you know, I think he's making, I think I've read probably like 600,000, you know, 500,000, something like that. Actually I found an article. It's, he's not making a, a lot of money. He was making about 300,000 as a position coach. So let me just get, let me just get here. Is this uh, what, when was this article written? This is from 2019. So I'll give you an example in 2019, the offensive coordinator at Kansas state was making $500,000. So it's probably a little bit over that. Right. right. So he's not making a ton of money, but Notre Dame's not offering him $3 million. So it's like if, if six, five, six hundred thousand dollars and, and he's, he's going to be up for a pay raise after the job they did this year. Yeah. So let's say he gets up to six or seven and I'm going to give him one and a half million. Yeah. That's a big pay raise. But like, if there's other negatives involved in it, I'll just stay here. Know that I can have this job for as long as I want it. Maybe even replace, you know, the head coach when he leaves somewhere. Cause I am a legacy here. Uh, as opposed to going to Notre Dame, dealing with all that pressure. And, yeah, the money's good, but it's, I mean, $700,000 in Kansas goes a pretty long way. A million and a half goes a pretty long way in Indiana as well. But, okay, I could make one and a half million for two, three years at, at Notre Dame, or I could stay here, make seven seven hundred thousand, and then get continue to get escalators, and I'll make more over the course of a longer period of time, and then I've got myself set up for, you know, if I'm going to play second fiddle to I'm choice number seven, at Notre Dame, that that that's what I'm saying. It, it it doesn't become as appealing. It's not like he's making a hundred grand and Notre Dame would offer him a million and a half. That's a whole different animal. You know what I mean? So, it just you got to be careful with how you how you do those things, right? You got to be. Right. And this is partly why Notre Dame doesn't want it out there. Every name that the person they've talked to, because that's exactly the perception that comes. To, they talk to this guy. They talk to Byron Left, which he said no. They talked to Brian Johnson. He said no. N- neither of those things happen. You can't say no when you're not offered the job. You know what I mean? But that's the perception. Oh, they they Joe Moorhead was the leader. He said no, and all of a sudden the guy you hired is considered the sixth option. When in reality, he was only one of two guys that got offered a job. Right? And so, yeah, we talked to this guy. He said he wasn't interested, but it was a string of 13 phone calls that I was going to make. I just seen if he was interested or not. I didn't, he wasn't my leading candidate, but then people in the, I say media, because a lot of it's not traditional media. It's these, these clout chasers on social media and some people that do work for traditional media that have bad intel that run with these things because there's this desire to be first. And then all of a sudden that becomes, I mean, I have said how many times in this chat, the Byron Leftwich and Brian Johnson are not candidates in her name. And there's still people right now, two hours in, in the chat, talking about Byron Leftwich and Brian Johnson, because it's just in their head now that they're candidates because of what was tweeted out last night, even though it's not accurate. So that's why if you're Notre Dame, it makes sense to try to be a little guarded with what names you're getting out there. And so it, it there's there's a game involved here, Frank, in, in this that I think has to be played right if you're going to get the guy you want. And then if that guy's going to be coming in here and how he's viewed, right? Like how Tommy Reese is walking into the Alabama job because of how many names are floated. He's walking in with the fan base being like, who? And they had to settle for him when in reality – if you know the story there, Nick Saban has had his eye on Tommy Reese since the Rose Bowl in 2020. Right? So, because um, he watched that late 2020 stretch of film where that Notre Dame offense looks pretty flipping good schematically and results-wise. 
And so, but the perception is that Ryan, and now he's got to overcome not, he doesn't have to overcome Alabama, you know, Auburn and Florida and Georgia and Tennessee and Texas A&M and LSU, but he's got to overcome the stigma of he wasn't the top choice. Right. And so I think so far, I, I think Marcus Freeman and, and staff are going about it the right way of being like very, keeping it very close to the vest. Agree. Agree. Yeah. And, Ty, and Todd Bunkin's got something good going, right? Yes, <laughs> it's he does. not the worst situation in the world to yes, be in right does. now to be the offensive coordinator of Georgia. And he's also a guy that has an NFL background. So would I be shocked if he eventually goes back to the NFL? Not necessarily, right? So, right. I, I, again, that's just not a super optimistic one. Like, it's not one that makes a ton of sense, I think, for either side, especially if you have to overpay that much. So, yeah. And I honestly think if Todd Munkin leaves, he'd be leaving for the NFL, not, okay. not another college job. I mean, he was talked about this offseason as far as some – I mean, it's. I don't I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he goes back to Georgia next year as we sit right here. I think that there's still some openings that there will be some conversations had. So we'll see. Yeah. Good stuff so far. We have a super chat down here from Wade Garrett. Thank you, Wade, very, very much. Would it be more important to hire an OC with experience or an OC considering how much Freeman leaned on Reese to handle that side of the ball or more important to hire a big splash kind of guy? Thank you. I don't think either one of those things are important to me. In and of themselves, I don't care about splash at all. I care about substance. I don't care about experience at all by without any other context because I Brian Van Gorder had a lot of experience. John Tenuta had a Ke- ton of experience. Kevin, Kevin Steele Kev- has a lot. He's of got a, a, a mess load of experience, and I would I would be mortified if he got hired at Notre Dame. <laughs> so I care about talent. That's what I care about. And, and I've had this philosophy, Ryan, and I've always had this, and this is a, was exactly the argument I made when Tar- Clark Lee got hired. If you got the chops, you got the chops. And you know this, Ryan. I don't yep. care if you've been coaching five minutes or 50 years. If you got the chops, you got the chops. Now, you need to be in the profession. I'm not hiring some dude off the streets that was really smart when he played 10 years ago or coached 10 years ago, right? I need a guy that's in the game. But give me somebody that's got the ability, whether it's – a 33-year-old assistant coach, quarterback's coach somewhere, whether it's a 58-year-old offensive coordinator somewhere, I don't care. Give me someone who fits and who has the chops to be successful with this team. Um, yep. That's what I care more about. Now, all things being equal, I'd prefer someone with a track record. I'm not going to sure. lie. I would absolutely prefer someone with a track record, but only if that track record is of – of very good success. And that's the thing with like Andy Ludwig that we pointed out for him. Everywhere he's been, the results have been better under him than when the coaches before and after him for the most part. The only exception was Wisconsin because two years before he got there, they had Russell Wilson, right? That's the exception to that rule. Vanderbilt, much better. So you're saying that Joel Stave is not better than Russell Wilson? No, I'm pretty much saying saying that. Pretty okay. much saying that, yes, very, very, just, very, just very, very, sure. very clearly. All the, all the record, all the record. Very right. clearly, I'm saying that. Very forcefully and emphatically mm-hmm. saying that. Um, but you know, it, Vanderbilt, they had better success than they'd had in a while, and since, and of course, at Utah, significant. We went over the numbers. So when you see that kind of track record, like people have pointed to Brian Johnson, for example, and the success he had at Florida. Well, with all due respect, the only place he's had success as a coordinator was at a place that had a guy that's got a much more proven track record developing quarterbacks than other places, that's Dan Mullen, who's done a very good job producing quarterbacks. So why was his success there better than it was at other places like Utah and and some of the other stops that he has had? 
And so then you have to say, okay, maybe he just got better as a coach. He was a young guy. He got jobs very early. He could have just got better. But then you have to say, or was it working with Dan Mullen? And those are always the question marks you have to ask yourself. Yep. You know, it's like that was my issue with Jeff Lebby last year. You know, yeah, he's he look at the all, numbers of the all, uh, Ole Miss last year. Yeah, but he wasn't calling plays. Right. So is he? But then you so then you do your homework and you find out and you may find out talking to people like, boy, this guy's really sharp and he's this and you know, yeah, Lane called plays, but man, this is the only guy that was in the meeting room. This is the guy that was doing the install. This is the guy that was leading. The, so okay, yeah, this guy's basically running the offense. The only thing he hasn't done is call plays. And as as I've said before, Ryan, that's the bottom of my list of important things for an offensive coordinator. It's a p- important thing, and it's on the list, but it doesn't rank number one because I've said this before. What you do Monday to, fr- to Saturday, Friday, is much more important. Well, Sunday to Friday is much more important than what you do on Saturday. And what I mean by that is if you're not great Monday to sa- or Sunday to Friday, you're not going to be great on Saturday. And, and give me an okay play caller that's great during the week of practice and preparation and game planning and scheming over the guy who – doesn't know how to teach positions, doesn't know how to teach fundamentals, doesn't know how to put a practice plan together, but, man, he can call the game on Saturdays. That guy's not winning the title. The guy that's great during a week of practice that's also a solid play caller at the very least is going to win me a title. And 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 that's what was so great about LSU in 2019 because Joe Brady had that mind for the game, but there's a lot of good, solid assistant coaches on the staff that can teach kids how to play the game. And that's whoever's going to be stepping in the situation is going to have. So all things being equal, yeah, give me the experienced guy. But I would much rather take the high ceiling, very talented, not experienced guy over a proven okay play caller who's just okay. Yep. And that's kind of where I'm at on it. I, I think it's a tiebreaker. I mean, I, I think that experience becomes a tiebreaker. Like if there is a there's an inexperienced coach that has a high upside and a bright future, but then you have a proven commodity that is a 58-year-old offense coordinator with 20 years of experience. And you think about them very similarly. You're like, I think that those both could be tremendous values for us. I'm going to side with the experience. I am because we talk about adjustments so often, right, Brian? We talk about the you know day-to-day. Well, the guy that's seen more things is probably going to be more equipped to make those decisions and to make that impulse and to make those adjustments, right? So I think that, for me, experience becomes the tiebreaker in a sense, right? Because those guys have been more used to that trial by fire to that adjustment period to that everyday nuance of being a coach at a high level. So that's kind of where I settle in at, you know, is yeah. I want a guy that can call a great game for sure. I also want a guy that can develop really well. I want a guy that can recruit at a high level. I want a guy that is good to the people around him and everyone coaches and players alike want to coach with him or want to play with him, want to play under him. All those things matter. I don't think it's one or the other. And it usually isn't ever one or the other. All right, let's get to some other questions here. We did have another super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Ryan and you and I were talking about what's coming up for him here uh, soon. And he said this here, Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. What's up, guys? Just wanted to say I'm getting married tomorrow. Just wanted to share. Also, I hope whoever Coach Freeman hires can make a massive impact on recruiting. Tommy Reeve and leaving is a loss. I can admit it. And he is not a big Tommy Reese is a great coach guy, but he is willing to admit that Tommy Reese did a very good job recruiting as the offensive coordinator. And his quarterback recruiting was one of the question marks, but he's pretty much fixed that over the last year. But his like there was somebody on the board that was like, well, he didn't really, you know, Dylan McCullough and and Chancey Stuckey recruited those guys. Yeah, they played a role too. But 
Ryan, you interview all these kids. You know, Tommy Reese played a big role in recruiting on on the offensive side of the ball the last year and a half, two years as the as the offensive coordinator. No doubt. So, hey, Charlie Weiss's last belt loop, my man. Good luck, buddy. Uh, you know, say, first of all, safe travels because I know you're flying to the destination you're going to get to. That's my wife and I actually did that as well, not to where you're going, but we we had to fly into Ohio where we got married. And uh, it's nerve wracking, buddy, but you're going to be good. And um, I'm very happy for you. She sounds like a keeper based on what you told me in that DM yesterday. So we're, we're happy for you, man. And enjoy your, uh, your, your, your wedding and all that. And we'll see you when you get back, man. So uh, best of luck to you. And thank you for the super chat, man. And don't send any super chats for a couple of days. You're a married guy now, man. You need to make sure that, you know, you can pay for uh, this wedding and some other things, but, but we're, we're happy for you. We're, yeah, man. We're very happy good, for good luck, Charlie. And just one one thing of advice, man. The answer is always yes, babe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not true, Charlie. Don't listen to him. Because nope, if she asks you if I look fat in these jeans, your 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 answer is not yes, babe. Okay, it's whatever the right answer is. Sometimes it means no. Let, let me rephrase. When the wife asks you to do something, you say yes. I'll do that right now. Yes. Don't yes. say I'll do that later. If <laughs> she asks you if there's something negative about her, the answer is no. So here we go. Uh, Cajun Domer asked a question, is it possible to hire coaches that already took a new job this off season? And that would be yes. relevant to the Sean Lewis hire. Yes, it is. It just it doesn't happen. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it literally just happened. The Marshall defensive coordinator the last two years got hired by Tulane and now he's the Miami defensive coordinator. Right. So th- that does happen. It literally just happened today, actually. So, and then we talked about it happened with Andy Ludwig at one point in time. I think it was, I can't remember where he was leaving, but he was an, he was a coordinator like an 08. And then I, th- I believe he got hired to go to Kansas State. And then pretty soon after that, Jeff Tedford hired him to Cal. So we, we've seen that before. It doesn't happen a ton, but it happens for sure. Yep. And it's usually an upgrade type of situation. Well, remember when Manny Diaz did that? Manny yes. Diaz was the decor in Miami. He got hired at Temple and then left Temple almost immediately to take the head coaching job in Miami. So uh, usually, that's that's and that the way was that it goes. and that was the downtrend of Temple football, baby. Oh, from and there, Manny it's Diaz. Over. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Let's see here. Kish Squared says, "What is specifically does Saban see in Reese? I don't mean this negatively towards Reese. It just seems like Saban typically like takes more proven coaches. That's fair. Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah, he does. I." Look, I think he sees a guy, Ryan, that runs a very diverse scheme. He's a guy that that believes in running the football, but also being balanced. He's a guy that does a lot of pro-style pass concepts, a lot of pro-style uh, run concepts, which is what Saban's looking for. Uh, I think that he's a guy that believes that Tom Reese got a lot out of the talent that Notre Dame had. I don't necessarily agree with that, uh, but I think it, it it's a fit on who he wants to be. And there aren't a lot of guys out there like that, to be honest with you, that would have wanted the job. So I think those are things that he sees. Look, Tommy Reese is a very, and we've said this many times, Tommy Reese is a very smart guy. He's inexperienced. I think at times he was a little too stubborn, but I think that even evolved and got better. I, I We've said this before. You can disagree with it, and that's totally fine because coaches are wrong sometimes. But we've said this for a, over a year. Tommy Reese is, how he is viewed in the coaching industry is completely different than how he is viewed by most Notre Dame fans, right or wrong. I'm not saying which side is, is right, which side's wrong. I, I understand where both are coming from completely. It's just, he, he is a very smart guy. Now, can he teach the, the schemes that he wants to run? Can he teach the technique and all that? That's a question mark, right? 
I think so far, I think he's a much better coordinator than he's been a quarterback's coach so far. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. But I think that's what he sees is, is the, the scheme is something that fits with really well with what I think Saban wants to be, in my opinion. Well, we, we talk about the – so when a, when a hire doesn't work out, sometimes you go for the opposite of what that former hire was. That's why you see on like the NFL level, for instance, let's say an NFL team has a defensive coach as their head coach that fails, right? Usually you'll overcorrect and go for the young offensive whippersnapper as the next head coach, right? And I think that that's a little bit of what you're seeing here for me, Kish Squared, is that – you went the older route, the more experienced route in a Bill O'Brien. He's been there in a lot of different spots. He's called offense a lot during his, during his coaching career. The overcorrection is let's go for the young offensive minds that maybe could be a little more relatable, maybe could be a little more diverse in what he potentially wants to do than a Bill O'Brien that's kind of stuck in his ways, very oriented in what he wants to do. So I think that there is a part of it, Brian, for me, that's like there's a little bit of an overcorrection for how you – get guys sometimes yeah. right like i have the old offensive coordinator that maybe is kind of stuck in his ways let me go for tommy reese who's young unproven to a degree more but moldable. has more upside to more moldable would be a yeah. good way to put it right a guy that yeah. still has room to grow and to, for nick's i mean for tommy i'm sure that tommy looks at it like that too it's like i'm gonna be coaching under nick saban right who can help mold me to be the coach that i want to be we can talk about whether that is right or wrong, or if it could have happened at Notre Dame versus Alabama, but I assume that that's part of the mindset, right? So I do think there's an overcorrection part of how people, how programs hire coaches at times, too. They want to go for the opposite of what they just had, because what they just had didn't work out for whatever reason. Yep. Here's another one here, and this is from Hawk Strongest. If Chip was to be hired, would that be a blessing for Tyree? Another Chip Long question from John A1. If Chip Long gets hired back by Notre Dame, what would some of the hurdles be for him? and Marcus Freeman. So take that first one. Uh, hurdles are just a perception. Yeah. The character assassination that happened um, to him when he left. And and some of it was, you know, like sometimes things happen to you and it's like, was it fair what happened to you? No. Um, but some certain things you did led to that, right? Where they could take what you did and use it against you in a way that they attacked you so i think chip needs to learn from those things believe that he has but it would be a big perception thing very big perception thing so yeah yep yeah i mean i i would agree i mean anytime that things don't end the right way from a outside perspective i mean you just have to work through and you have to reveal some of the truth right and and no matter what the truth is that comes out like if chip long came back and they kind of dispelled some of those rumors right brian there's still going to be some people from the outside perspective are going to be like nope don't believe you you got to show me right and that's fair like let's show them then at that point so i think the hurdles are the perception from the outside is more than what is the internal situation right Mm -hmm. so uh, is there any like is there any hurdles for Marcus Freeman? Like I, I wouldn't say so, right? I mean, well, like, I, I think it would be it would just be the perception. You know, you hired a guy that had a negative perception, and that's on you. If it doesn't go well, that's on you. So, uh, as far as would it be good for Chris Tyree? I mean, Chip recruited. Chip was the coach that recruited Chris Tyree. So yeah, he would he would want to use him, but I would think so. Yeah, I mean, Chip Chip ideally wanted to use multiple backs. He and he was working with. I mean, keep in mind the backfield he was working with in 2019 where, you know, they had a pretty good offense that year. 
set a school record for points. His backfield was Tony Jones, Jafar Armstrong, and Jameer Smith. Right? I mean, think about what he's working with now. So there'd be that. But I think they'd probably have to miss on some guys at the top to to for for to get chip. And that's kind of where I think it would be for that. But yes, it would be yep. good for good for Chris Tyree. Irish Blooded said, personal preference, do you think it matters if the OC is an ex-head coach versus an up-and-coming coach? And that's kind of what we discussed earlier. I, I don't think it matters no. if all things are equal. Give me the guy with the experience, but it's only if all things are equal. I honestly – I couldn't care less if an offensive coordinator has been a head coach at some point. Like, I just want a guy that knows how to call a football game. Like, if that's Jason Candle that's been a successful – you know, college coach for the most part of Toledo. If that is a Sean Lewis, who has not been quite as successful of a college head coach, whether that is a Andy Ludwig, who's 58 years old and has never been a head coach on the college level. That doesn't matter to me. I want a guy that is a really good offensive coordinator, right? Like that's the end all be all. Can a guy call a game? Can a guy get the best out of his players around him? Can a guy recruit? Can a guy fit into the offensive structure? That's what I care about. I really don't care about the head coaching side of it. Like it doesn't matter. Right, because that's not the job he's being asked to do now. So it doesn't really matter for me in that regard. Other question from Irish Blooded. He says, when you look at OC candidates, how long would you expect to keep a successful one here before they look at other positions, such as head coach or going to the league, et cetera? I mean, I, I think you always hope to get two years out of a guy at least. But honestly, it you know, somebody said this to me. They were making a, a they were talking about Joe Brady, and I'm just using Joe Brady as an example. They said, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd want Joe Brady. So why? You know, well, what if he leaves in a year like he did LSU? I said, look, I'm going to tell you right now. If Joe Brady comes in our name and leaves in our name to the national championship, I don't give two rips if he leaves after that. I don't give – I do not care. But that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Like if it if the results are phenomenal, then it makes the next hire easier because – you know, like if you were hired an offensive coordinator, he he goes to an NFL OC job or he gets a head coaching job. All of a sudden, people that want to do that come and get come want to be a part of what you're doing. That's how pipelines are created, right? right? Yep. And I would also say this too, Brian. I mean, for me, it depends on who the guy is that we're talking about, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I agree with you that there is a baseline of what you would like, but how long a Joe Brady might be at Notre Dame is different than how long a Andy Ludwig might be at Notre Dame or a Joe Moorhead might be. At Notre- Every situation is different, right? And there's also people that have different goals as far as what the track is. I mean, we've talked, we've been talking a lot about, about Tommy Reese, right? Tommy Reese thinks that he can hit that track quicker at Alabama than he can at Notre Dame, for instance, right? That is his perception. That is his belief. Every guy is going to be different, but I mean, I, I would love continuity, right? If, Right. And no matter who the co- offense coordinator is, if they're a good, if they do a good job, I would love them to be here as long as possible. But we know that situations dictate that type of track. Right. Next question from E Week E E Two. I don't know what that says. Uh, Joe Moorhead would be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Joe Moorhead could be a home run, but he might take Notre Dame a little out of their comfort zone with heavier RPO style. But that could be exactly what's needed to elevate the program and the QB position. I don't think he's taking Notre Dame out of their comfort zone. That was what Tommy Reese wanted to do. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think I, I think that Moorhead would take Tommy Reese out of his comfort zone if they coached sure. together, right? Like sure. that would be different. Which but is I why that- I wanted Tommy Reese to work under him in 2020 because I thought right. he w- it would be a great learning experience for him. It would make him and a better coach. I think you need that implementation because we, I mean, we we called for it all 
all season, right, Brian? Like, can we get a little more RPO? Can we get a little more? And you have Sam Hartman coming in, which is like such an easy RPO threat as a passer, right? So I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's necessarily out of their comfort zone as far as what Notre Dame wants to be. I just think it's 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 just a change that maybe needs to happen a little bit more. Like I think that implementation mm-hmm. needs to happen because that's how the modern game runs a little bit more nowadays. And I think that Notre Dame would benefit off of more RPO looks. Like I would love, you know, like we even talk about, you know, using Chris Tyree as, you know, maybe an orbit motion guy and then swinging it out to him off of an RPO look off of an inside zone read. Like there's so much stuff that is untapped for Notre Dame, you know, whether it's Lorenzo Styles, whether it's Chris Tyree, whether it's, you know, it, there's so many options to be more in, to in, to evaluate and to take advantage of space, I think that Notre Dame needs to utilize more of that stuff. There's no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get to some more questions here. So we have some good ones today from you all. Another one from Irish Blooded. Do you think there's any particular names in the running that excite the recruits and current roster than others? I mean, look, the, all the big names, are like, okay, Joe Brady would excite recruits. Byron Leftwich would excite recruits. Maybe Brian Johnson. Maybe. I don't know if he's a big enough name like Byron left, which was to so so anytime it's a name like that, if, Joe Moorhead if Eagles, probably if the Eagles won a Super Bowl, then Brian Johnson would elicit a lot of In the of same excitement. way that, that Al Golden elicited a lot of excitement last year at the time. You know, hey, yeah. you know, guy team went to Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But uh, you know, so I, I think those are all those are all things that factor into it. But I think at the end of the day, Kids are gonna kids are gonna care more about the relationship that the new coach comes in and builds with them, and they're gonna care about the product that he puts on the field. Hundred percent. That, that that's what it matters. I mean, that's that's absolutely what it boils down to. I think more than ever, too, Brian. Recruits and players understand more than ever that the coaching game is a business. So I think that most guys, after they evaluate a little bit, so like let's say Andy Ludwig is the guy, or yeah, let's say Andy Ludwig's the guy, right? He's a guy that has shown that he will stick at places for a little bit as the success kind of reigns in a little bit. You know what I mean? So I think that there are some things on the surface that excite you. But then I think that, I mean, kids that are going to Notre Dame, especially, they understand that there's more to just like an outside perception, right? Like they understand that there's more stuff behind the scenes. But yeah, I think that Joe Brady would elicit a lot of excitement. I think that. You know, I, I think Joe Moorhead would too, because Joe Moorhead's a name, right? Like that is a name mm-hmm. that, that a lot of co- recruits would know. So it, it is kind of funny how sometimes people will will just allow their personal feelings to dictate their football arguments. Yeah. There's somebody in the chat who just said the Tommy Reese really wants to run the ball as an XQB is over exaggerated reading 2020 stats that Marcus Freeman changed out of necessity after going three three and passing games week. That is just so blatantly false because even this year for the yards they had, it's still over 20 yards fewer per game than what he averaged in 2020, his first year running off. They rushed for 211 yards per game in 2020. They tried to run the ball last year. They sucked at it. It wasn't that he didn't want to run it. They didn't have an offensive line that could coach it. So I get that you don't like Tom Reese. I get it. Okay. But in two of his three years as an offensive coordinator, they were a very good running team. They were a Joe Moore finalist for the for the in 2020 because they ran the football. So yeah. I, I understand you don't like Tommy. I get it. That's totally fine. I'm not trying to argue that with you. But if you don't like Tommy, at least be factual with the things you're going to say. Because now when when you make really silly arguments like that, it's not it's not even like a, a football discussion. Because we could have a very 
legitimate conversation about the job Tom Reese did the last three years. You can point to the points per game were down. There was an inconsistency. They, it seemed to, you know, did they really have an identity? You know, they ran duo too. I mean, there's a lot of things we could say, but when you're going to say he didn't really want to run the football, there's literally no basis for that because the, the next comment was, well, look at what they did with Jack Cohn passing the ball. When Jack Cohn got hot late in the year, uh, throwing the football is when Notre Dame's run game got better. You know, so you could look at what they did down the stretch of the second half of the year, but that the fact of the matter is in the last five regular season games last season, they ran for 296, 150, 249, 212, and 169 in those games. They rushed for, see, 14 touchdowns in those five games down the stretch last year, right? In 2020, as I said, they averaged over 200 yards rushing per game. So you, you can't tell me that you believe that. When you tell me that, you're just really telling me that you personally don't like Tommy Reese, which is fine. You don't have to like him. But if you're going to say he didn't do a good job or something that we've said it is, an, it is inaccurate, which is fair. If we say something not accurate, then call us out on it. But your, your, your rebuttal has to at least have some basis in reality or fact. And if you're going to tell me the only reason he looked like he wanted to run the ball is because what Marcus Freeman said. So are you telling me that in 2020, Marcus Freeman called Tommy Reese from Cincinnati and said, hey, this year I expect you to run the ball because in two years I'm going to be the head coach. Yep. Is that what you're telling me? When they ran for over 200 yards on the way to a playoff appearance, he didn't really want to run the ball, even though he had a fifth-year senior quarterback. You're telling me he didn't want to run the ball? He, he Why did he do it in 2020? So I, I just – Make a better argument because you can have, look, there's arguments to be made about Tommy Reese wasn't a great coordinator, plenty. And we've made them at times, right? I mean, we've made them, yeah. but at least have some semblance of fact to, to back that up and, and don't come in with stats or opponent based as your response, because it's an entire season of 200 yards. And so there was a lot of opponents that year that Tommy Reese wanted to run the ball against. So it's just a bad argument, right? And now it's it's clear that it's personal for you. You it's don't projecting. like him, which is yeah. fine. I'm not saying you have to like him. But just say, hey, I don't like the guy. He rubs me the wrong way. I don't want him here. That's fair. Okay, whatever. You can like whatever you do or don't like. But don't make bad arguments or, or arguments that are in good faith. Because then we can't really talk football at that point in time. It's just a personal vendetta for you. And when I can dismantle an argument that quickly, it's just, it's just a, it's, it's a bad faith argument. And so I just, I don't like when those conversations go that way. It's like, it's one thing that's personal. That's okay. But just use better arguments in my opinion, or just admit, I don't like the guy, which is totally fine. I mean, that's all I ever asked for too, Brian. I I told you, I think I told you about this on the recruiting show, maybe like three or four weeks ago, but we, we were talking about, Caleb Brewer, right? And this guy said, oh, he's a three-star. Notre Dame can do better. I'm like, let's objectively look at this, right? What don't you like about his film? Oh, he's only a three-star. That's not in his film. Tell me what you don't like about his film. Oh, he, he, uh, he uh, he's an interior offensive line. Says who? Who says who? Oh, a right. recruiting pro- profile. Sure. Come on, man. Give me your opinion. Right. I want your opinion. I want your right. opinion. And we can have that conversation. It's all in good fun, man. I love talking ball. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get out here. So we got some more here from uh, Salty Virginia Peanuts. Says, at what point is in the OC search and interview process are the other offensive coaches involved? If Harry votes no, when does this happen? Well, for, I don't think any of the coaches have like veto power, right? I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Where if everybody wants a guy, but one coach says no, I don't know if that necessarily is like going to be the end all be all. But I think they're involved already. Or at least they should be. They better be. I mean, if you're going to keep this staff intact, they need to be part of evaluating, like we said earlier, evaluating the film, you know, breaking down the recruiting classes, all that kind of stuff. They need to be part of all that kind of stuff. Let's get last few questions here from Ray Hallcraft. Ray says, uh, yes, Hallcraft, excuse me. What are the key differences between being a coach at the NFL level and coaching at the college level? It's obvious a good pro coach does not make a good college coach. And I'd say vice versa, but that's also true within levels. A good assistant coach doesn't always make a good coordinator, and a good coordinator doesn't always make a head coach. And just because you're a good head coach doesn't mean you could also be a good coordinator. All right. So some guys are just really good at those particular jobs. So, Ryan, I'll let you take first crack at this. What is the difference between being a coach at the NFL level and being an NFL coach at the college level? I mean, obviously the day-to-day is way different, right? I mean, you're talking about the differences between recruiting versus, you know, just kind of continuing the day-to-day from an NFL perspective where you are trying to implement game plans. You're trying to really understand team needs. You're doing roster construction almost every day on the NFL level too because you see guys on injured reserve. You see waiving players. You see acquiring players. There's a lot of different things on a day-to-day. I would say the main difference, though, for me is that from a coaching perspective – NFL is much more scheme driven than what the college football game is, right? Schemes scheme is important on both levels. I'm not disputing that. But what I'm saying is is that on from the NFL side of things, the difference between talents from one team to the other is so much smaller than what it can be on the college football level. So on college, I mean, if Notre Dame plays against, you know, a lower level team, they don't necessarily have to have a great scheme to be able to Jimmy and Joe those types of players, right? But on the NFL level, the best team in the NFL versus the 10th best team in the NFL, that with that margin for error is a little bit smaller. So scheme has to be the separator, I think, more on the NFL level than the college level. And I think that's mostly the biggest thing on top of just day-to-day is going to be a lot different when you're a college coach. I mean, NFL coaches don't have to go on the road to recruits and do all that type of stuff. That's kind of the – just daily stuff that's a little bit different in my opinion. But I think scheme, the importance of scheme is the biggest thing for me, Brian, personally. I think a lot of it has to do with also in the college, there's a, a like, I think the biggest mistake NFL guys make come to college is that they focus. Like you said, there's too much focus on scheme, way too much focus on scheme. And, and, and in the end, and it's also because you're getting different type of athletes 
in the NFL, I don't necessarily want to have to teach a guy how to line up and block and tackle and, you know, you, there's, I'm paying you millions of dollars. You should kind of already know how to do that stuff. Right. In college, you have to, I think the best coaches assume that this guy doesn't know anything and then you teach him. And I think that's what Charlie Weiss's big mistake was. Charlie Weiss was successful for two years when he inherited a very veteran team that already knew how to line up and block and tackle and catch and do all those type of things. And then once that group was gone and it was the built, it was the roster was built on players that, that were his guys that weren't taught those things, they sucked. And they had very talented teams that, that, that didn't come anywhere close to being their full potential because he didn't understand the importance of how to teach guys how to line up and block and tackle and speak sure. fundamentally sound football. But it was always about scheme. Well, it worked from an 05 and 06, and that's where Charlie got it wrong. He miscalculated. It's like you already had Ty's staff did a good job of teaching guys how to line up and block and tackle. They just weren't very talented, and the scheme was bad. It can't just be fundamentally sound in a terrible scheme. You're still going to suck, right? right? It has to be – you have to be well-coached fundamentally, but then you also have to have schemes that are allowed you to be efficient, allow you to be aggressive, allow you to be explosive, and all those type of things. It's just you have to understand that the volume has to be – It there's a peak to where you've got to make sure you don't go past it before you start to have negative returns. And it can be a hard balance to find, and every team is different. What may work for one team you coach the next year, when you lose your three-year starting quarterback, you can't do as much. And those are the things you have to understand. And and in and, and, and the NFL, it's a little bit easier because you're when you lose a guy, you replace him with another veteran who you expect to already know those things. And, and so um, it, it's a much more basic game when it's done right. Yep. And, and basic doesn't mean that you don't have complexity and creativity and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just also the other thing, too, is, you know, kids, well, some schools, kids have to go to class. There's limitations to the amount of time you can work with them. Um, there's a whole lot of things. And for me as a coach, it's like the attractive thing about the NFL is so I can basically take, you know, it's like almost like a school teacher. You can take a few months off. Right. You know, I mean, you're there, you're working, but it's not the same. It's not the same grind. You know, on the road recruiting like you are in college. I mean, sometimes, and I mean, honestly, for some coaches in college, it's like you're relieved when the season starts because you're not on the road all the dang time and dealing with recruiting all the dang time. It can be a, it can definitely be a release. And I would say this too, is something that we didn't talk about as much. When you're a college coach, you're taught, you're dealing with 18 to now, I guess, 24 year old kids when it used to be like 22 year old kids. Right. But in the NFL, I mean, you're dealing with grown men, right? You're grown with grown adults. So how you interact with the players is also a lot different. You know that you could be sometimes in the NFL level, you could be harder on a guy a little bit, right? Because they're a little more mature. They can take that type of stuff. The college game, I think that it's a little harder to really just kind of I think I think it's just the ability to talk to people and to understand your the different ages of players that you're talking to a little bit, Brian, right? I think that there's some things that you can say to an 18-year-old that you're not going to say to a 28-year-old, right? And then vice versa, very much so. So I think it's also understanding that there's completely different – it's a completely different population of people that you're dealing with in that situation as right. well. All right, let's get to these last few questions here. We do have a super chat here from Michael S. They should just consider an experienced, successful college OC who's gone through the rigors of recruiting, teaching, and play calling over an experienced pro OC – who hasn't had to deal with the constraints of college. I mean, that that's fine. If all things are equal, Michael, then sure, sure. Like if, if all things are equal, talent, intelligence, fit, all that stuff, and you give me a, a, a proven successful college coach 
or a proven successful NFL coach, for me, Ryan, for this job, I'm taking the proven college coach. So sure, but that means you would have turned down Todd Munkin, right? And so that's the thing is, in theory, Michael, I don't have a problem with what you're saying. It's just, it's never that simple because there's always different circumstances, right? And you can say, well, Todd Munkin had also coached in college, very fair, but he came from the NFL. And so to me, it, it just depends. I mean, I'd say in theory, I agree with you, but okay, but let me see what specific coaches we're talking about. What's the specific scheme that this coach is running or whatever. So that's why I say, if we're going to grant that all other things are equal, fits the same, schemes the same, uh, experiences the same at those particular levels, all that stuff is, is equal, you know, what we think he'll be as a recruiter and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Give me the guy that's done it in college over the guy's coming in the pros. Sure. I'll, yeah. I'll go with that. Right. I mean, so and Michael, thank you for the super chat, but um, so in theory, I like what you say. I just, it, it's just not, it doesn't always play out that way because different coaches are, you know, would create a different circumstance. For example, like there's some NFL schemes, Ryan, that would fit, would make a much, somebody brought up Kyle Shanahan, that system would make a much smoother transition to college. In my view, than you know, somebody who's coaching under uh, the John Gruden tree, right? right. Or some of these other really complex 13, 15, 18 words to get a play call in, those type of things, that it's going to make a much smoother transition than that, right? And that's why I say I just would need more context to say specifically, but in theory, I, I'm comfortable with this comment, in theory. Yeah, I, I am too. I would say this, there's, I think that there is a very distinct differentiation between what makes a guy a really good NFL coach and what college coaches. But there is there is a certain level of or certain number of coaches that can succeed at both levels, right? So I don't necessarily want to just put every guy in one bucket or one guy in the other. Like there are some guys that are the exception to the rule, but I think for the most part, right? Like college game is a different animal than the NFL. It's different. I mean, we talk about the recruiting aspect. We talk about the day-to-day stuff. But, yeah, sure. I mean, I would love an experienced, successful college offensive coordinator who's been there, done that, understands how to set a practice plan, understands how to create a game plan. All those things are vital. I just necessarily, for me, I wouldn't shut the door on an NFL coach immediately, right? Because there are, I think, some NFL coaches – that can be very successful at college and vice versa. It's usually a separator. There's usually right. guys that are more college coaches or more NFL coaches, but there are a small population where I do think that there are guys that can do both. But for the most part, I do accept it also, Michael. I think that for me, I would more often than not like a guy that is a college guy that understands the day-to-day, understands how to do those types of things because it does take a special type of a t- special type of coach with patience and the drive to be a college football coach. It's not an easy job, man. It's not an easy gig. And I think that you need to understand that. I'm also, I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm someone who is always a little skeptical when I hear about an NFL guy coming back to college, which is I am. I am. So uh, you're what you're saying, Michael speaks to my bias. I just feel like we have to also say, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true for every coach uh, with that resume. So it's what makes it interesting and also challenging. It's it, it's not easy to just, oh, this guy had these stats there and you bring them over here. We've seen this. How many times, Ryan, have you seen this in the NFL and college where a guy has great results and he goes to another place and you're like, wow, this is terrible. Like Rick Trickett had this great reputation as an offensive line coach. Yeah. And he goes to Florida State and it's a disaster. Did he forget how to – just the fit wasn't right, right? Yeah. And and that's the thing is you you see guys that have success some places go to another place and they just don't have the same success. 
No right? Randy Etzel did not forget how to coach football when he went from UConn to Maryland, but he was terrible in Maryland. Tom O'Brien did not forget how to coach football when he went from BC to North Carolina State. It just was a bad fit for those particular guys. Other people have made similar leaps. Nick Saban went from Michigan State, who's from West Virginia, went from Michigan State to LSU. You can't find two more polar opposites on the eastern part of the United States than going from East Lansing, Michigan to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Guess what he did at both places? He won. Yep. You know, so it's it's always different. And Nick Saban was an NFL guy. And so if Michigan State would have had that philosophy, they wouldn't have hired Nick Saban. And they're probably glad they did. And I know LSU and Alabama are definitely glad that they did. Yeah. Because he and proved the, that he had the chops. Those guys that can do that type of movement are pretty rare. I mean, I mean, I think like Urban, Urban Meyer was like a Utah, Florida, Ohio State guy. Like those guys are kind of few and far between, right? right. I mean, to your point. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point is that not everybody is going to be successful, not even on a single level, but also there's the – demographic that they're working in the population they're working in the, the just the, the cultural differences i mean it's it's such a that i think that's what makes this decision so fascinating too is because when you look at the board of some guys that we talked about that could potentially be in contention for the notre dame job so many different types of people man so many different types of cats with different backgrounds it's gonna be fascinating to see just who fits because i think you have just such a difference in experience levels location you know where they uh, NFL guys some guys that have been strictly in college like there's just such a wide range of coaches on the board right now which I think is going to make it the most exciting to see who ultimately is the guy at the end last couple here uh, from uh here we go here's one Ludwig or Moorhead would be a definitive upgrade and great splash hires anyone else would be no splash and we'd have to wait and see if it's an upgrade I think that's way too simplistic first of all I don't think Andy Ludwig would be a splash hire I think most fans have no clue who Andy Ludwig is. And most He'd be a great either. hire. Right. Yeah. He'd be a great hire, in my opinion, but it's not splashy. Joe Moorhead would be a splash hire with some, but not others. We've already yeah. seen some people say, oh, look what he did in Akron this year. Okay. Right. So I don't think it'd be for everybody. Uh, there are certainly others that would be splash hires. But, it, it, you know, I, look, I'll say this. Even with Andy Ludwig and Joe Moorhead, there's no such thing as a definitive upgrade. Because just because you have success at one place does not mean you're going to have success at another. And we have seen this a million times. Yep. We have seen coaches that were really good at one place not be good at another, or at least not be as good as another. And, you know, like you you made a great point. Like, okay, Urban Meyer went everywhere. Steve, Steve Spur had great success in South Carolina. But even there, he wasn't as good as he was in Florida, but he was still really good, right? Yeah. Yep. But he's a legend. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. You know, Nick Saban was able to win titles in multiple places. There's a reason not many people have done those things. Because, like, Dabo Sweeney. Dabo is at the perfect place for him. Dabo would be a disaster at Notre Dame. He'd be a disaster at USC. Be pretty good at Alabama. I mean, if that – you know what I mean? Like, he'd fit in there. Not every coach is built to to have that success everywhere. He, he's a Southern guy, man. That's right. where he, that's where very he country. And I don't yep. mean that disrespectfully. I just yeah. that shit Southern won't sell. That's right. Like, yeah, it exactly. won't sell in certain places. It just won't. Chip Kelly was an excellent coach at Oregon, and and not a bad coach with the Eagles. Right before he self sabotaged himself, man. He was right. doing a nice job the first two years, and then he wanted too much control, and then it's just like right. that. And then, but he was really about the Niners. Right. Yes. Yep. Did he forget how to coach football or were there other things that kind of went into it? Right. And so that's kind of my point. And like Jim Harbaugh, you may hate Jim Harbaugh and he's a weird, quirky dude. But here's the thing you can't deny. 
Jim Harbaugh's literally won everywhere he's ever coached. Everywhere. At a very high level. And, you know, like the last two-year run at Michigan, okay, yeah, that's that's much better than they were doing in, in a couple years before. You know, but but this is a guy, Ryan, who even early in his career at Michigan was was doing well. I mean, go go look at his for 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3. He's coached in two Orange Bowls, a Citrus Bowl, an Outback, or two Citrus Bowls, an Outback, a Peach, Fiesta, right? The guy's had three top 10 finishes. He's had five top 10, 15 finishes in eight years. And that was in Michigan. You know, he, he took over a terrible Stanford team. And then in his last year there, they ranked fourth and went 12 and one. He, he took over a San Diego team uh, that was just not very good when he took it over. They weren't terrible. They were not very good. And went seven and four in his first year, and then went eleven and one in his next two years. Like, and then with the 49ers, he went to the NFC Championship. What, like three years in a row, yep. right? And then made a Super Bowl. Some guys are just that way. And and Ryan, completely different parts of the country. Yes. I mean, San Francisco and Stanford are nothing like, you know, Michigan, which is a little bit more blue collar. Now, of course, universities are that way. Yeah. But if you know anything about Jim Harbaugh's politics and his views on culture, he's not a fit in San Francisco or, or Palo Alto. Right. But he was still successful because he stayed in his lane and he knew how to coach football. Mm -hmm. And and so but not everyone's like that. And that's why I say there's no such thing as a surefire upgrade. There's guys that I think, to your point, I'm much more confident in the transition being smooth. But there's always going to be a little bit of this. Right. Fingers crossed with no matter who they are. Some guys I'm just crossing more. (laughs) <laughs> some guys I'm crossing all my fingers, all my toes, my legs and, and everything else I can possibly cross, you know? Um, so I think there's, there's some, there's something to this, but yeah. I, I, I think there's more splash hires than you give credit for. I think one of the best hires they can make is not a splashy hire. And uh, that's kind of where it is. Yep. Jason Rose says, Hey guys, this is, a, I think this might be the last question here, Ryan. I think we are good to go here. Um, so let's kind of, let's see. So I think we're going to wrap it up with this one. This is from Jason Rose said, Hey guys, how do you feel about Kevin Johns from Duke? Right. I, I know he was I, on the list you gave me. Why don't you go ahead and run with this one? I think he's a really interesting coach, Jason. I mean, he did a great job this past year with Riley Leonard in the first year. I thought that he showed a lot of signs and I mean, Duke isn't an incredibly gifted offensive team right now. Right. I mean, they lost their best running back from the previous year, Mateo Duran, who I think is on an NFL roster right now. The wide receivers, I mean, like Jordan Moore is a solid little player. Like they don't have a ton of talent, though. But when you look at it, I'd say, you know, quarterback development is a thing that we've talked about a ton, right? He showed in his this past year that he could develop a quarterback pretty quickly. And But I think that the thing that holds me back from fully buying into Kevin Johns, because I like a lot of what I saw, is that you just haven't seen a ton of it, right? I mean, like, I want to see what year two looks like under Kevin Johns at Duke. I want to see what year three looks like. So the track record isn't incredibly long. But I really did like, Brian, personally, what I saw in year one under under Mike Elko, I thought that Kevin Johns did a really nice job, and I think he's a coordinator to keep a close eye on over the next few years. I'm just not a big fan, to be honest with you. And, and yes, I can say this. Look, Ryan, you are, you are completely correct. He did a very good job this year at Duke, and we talked a lot about what he did. But number one, he's 47 years old, so he's not like a young up-and-comer, and he's been a coordinator for over a decade. He's been a pass game coordinator for even longer than that. And to me, I didn't love what he did at Indiana. Um, he was at Western Michigan for a year when they were pretty good. He went to Texas Tech for a year. Mm, wasn't that great. He went to Memphis for three years, and their offense by the time he left was abysmal. 
So I think he's more of a, I'll say this, he'd be a guy that I'd be more intrigued by as a quarterback's coach than I would be as a coordinator for me. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, this year was good, but I need to see him do it more. And especially when you look at how bad it was in Memphis before he got hired, before he left, you know, because you're, you're talking about him now, again, part of that, maybe you could, you want to blame that on your, your, your head coach or whatever the case may be. Cause I don't think they made a very good head coaching hire. Sure. That's fine. We can talk about that. But, you know, to me, I, I just don't, I didn't think that it was necessarily a, a, a great job. I mean, just l- let's look at the numbers at Memphis. His first year there, he was there from, I think it was 19 to 21. Let me look up Kevin Johns's resume again. Just give me one second, Ryan. I yep. think he was there from 19 to 21. And I just want to look at that real quick. So uh, correct, 19 to 21. So if you look at his first year there, he took over a team that averaged 42.9 points per game. His first year there, they went 40, they went, they uh, averaged 40.4. Not bad, right? The next year they dropped down to 31. I'll give you a pass. It was the COVID year. The next year they dropped down to 30.1 and were six and six. I mean, it's a big drop off for a team that was averaging, you know, 42.9, 45.5, 38.8, and 40.2 in the four years prior. So I, I think that's kind of a big drop off. And, you know, so th- those are the things that I look at, Ryan. And I just say, you know, look, he was good, but he's not, you know, great. They were okay in his year at Texas Tech. Um, you know, they were okay his year at Western Michigan. I mean, the eight point drop off from the year before, but they lost Zach Terrell. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, they lost their head coach. I mean, you know, so I'm not going to necessarily completely bang him for that. Sure. But he just, there's a longer track record there. And I didn't love what he did at Northwestern either. There's just a long, longer track record there that I don't, I don't love, but some guys evolve. Perfect example. Greg Davis at Texas early in his career was a 21 personnel pro style play action. I mean, you could probably talk to Matt Sims about this because, because Greg Davis coaches brother, uh, uh, Chris Sims at Texas. And they could just never beat Oklahoma. And it was 11 personnel and or 21 personnel and pros. And then what they did was they got this Vince Young kid and they said, we got to change. And Greg Davis went from being a, a old school pro style, 21 personnel coach to a spread coach. And he was much better. Not only did he have success with Vince, but they were even better for more years when he had um, Colt uh, Colt McCoy. Yeah. Right. So coaches can evolve and, and change. And sometimes that, Hey man, I've always been this guy, but man, I, I just picked this offense up and it's phenomenal. That may happen. Right. And so I think those are the things I look at Ryan. I say, maybe that's happened with him. Maybe there's some things in the modern game that he just really likes, or maybe he, if he's in the right fit, boy, he can really thrive. Right. So I, I, I'm curious to see what he does this year. I, I am. I'm very curious to see. Yeah. Well, not, you know? and that was, that's my main takeaway is that like I loved a lot of what I saw this year. I mean, I talked about the Riley Leonard thing already, right? But I, I do want to see year two, what year three looks like. I want to see the maturation because I'll say this, Brian, you are sitting here with a gold mine with Riley Leonard over the next two years. You do because, I mean, what do you saw from him as a retro freshman was really impressive stuff. But I need to see if he – does he improve in year two under – under Kevin Johns, right? Does he improve in year three? Because I think that when I look at Riley Leonard, I'm like, at talent-wise, that kid could play in the NFL, in my opinion. Like, I think he has that right. type of skill set. 
But does right. he get better? Now is the next question. Right. Or did exactly. you fall? It, or did you fall into a really good quarterback that fell into your <laughs> right. life? Right. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. I want to bring this up from uh, from this right here. He says uh, this is the guy that brought up the question earlier about Ludwig being a splash hire, and and I think you're 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 missing what my disagreement is. He says, I just love that Ludwig would bring the Utah bully ball to Notre Dame, and that's what I'd love to see as the Irish's personality, a team that is going to bludgeon you into submission every Saturday. Don't get confused with me saying he's not a splash hire with I don't think he would be a great hire. I've said multiple times, if if it's up to me, if Marcus Freeman said, hey, Brian, give me your four candidates, I promise you that if he was interested, Andy Ludwig is in my four finalists. I promise you that. And somebody else would have to prove something to me because he has a lot of what we talked about, right? If if you if I haven't got the experience, great. He has a proven track record of being better, of teams being better under him than they were before and after him. There's he checks all the boxes: experience, quarterbacks. His coach he he doesn't only coach quarterbacks, which I actually think is important. I want to know see that he's actually coached multiple positions because I can tell you as a young coach, coaching running backs and receivers for me, my first two years as a coach was a tremendous learning experience for me. Because I had to see, okay, as a quarterback, I can drop a play that may work, but then as a receiver, but yeah, but dude, I can't teach that route to be run that way in that timing. It was a, I've got to understand pass blocking. I've got to understand all these things. It was such a, a great lesson for me. And he checks that box as well. So uh, to me, he checks all the boxes, man. It's just all I'm saying is the vast majority of Notre Dame fans have no clue who Andy Ludwig is. Or and, and a lot didn't know until we brought him up. Now they've done their homework since we brought him up, and they, they seem to like it, right? But it's not a splash hire, meaning the moment he's hired, you're not like partying the streets and stuff like that, like a Joe Brady would, for example, or a Byron Leftwich would with some. Actually, I was surprised with some of the negative pushback on Byron Leftwich. Maybe that wouldn't be as splashy as we thought, but Joe Brady would, right? Yeah. And so that's my thing is I don't want you to under, misunderstand my pushback. My pushback is only about, about the perception. That outside uh, that that people that not in this show would have because you know there's been six seven hundred people in this chat the whole time. There's a lot more than seven hundred Notre Dame fans that would have a reaction to this hire, yep. right? And that's all I'm saying is it's not a splash hire. If that is the hire, you're not you're going to hear nothing but praise from us. Uh, well, for me, I speak for Ryan, but for me, you're going to hear nothing but praise. Um, yep. It's just not a splash hire. That that's all I'm saying. It just it would not be that. Oh my God. Everyone in the, you know, every recruit in the country wants to come play for Notre Dame now because he's there like it would be if like, let's say a Joe Brady came. That's that's my point. And and, and I, I think just to reiterate a point that you just made is that I saw that he had a comment or they had a comment, I shouldn't assume. Right. But they had a comment that, you know, uh, oh, a, a, any football guy knows how good Andy Ludwig is. You very well might be right about that. Well, my point, though, is to add on to Brian. Is that, but do recruits know Andy Ludwig, right? right? Do the players on the roster right now, do they know anything about Andy Ludwig? Does the, does the national perception know anything about Andy Ludwig? Because all those things do matter. You can act like they don't matter, but they do. They do. When it comes to sitting down with recruits, that matters. When it, when it, comes, to, when it comes to talking to the players on the roster right now and selling them on Andy Ludwig, that matters, right? So all that stuff does matter is my whole point. Right. It's not just the smart football guys. Like, okay, smart football guys, no Eddie Ludwig is a good coach. Sure, we agree on that. But that's not yeah. the only demographic that matters. Right. The whole scope doesn't right. matter. It matters. Right. Now, I think that goes away once he starts coaching, right? I mean, that's that would be my guess. That would be my bet. 
but it would take some convincing. You know, I, I don't know if CJ Carr's like, oh, that's my dude. I'm so happy. Right. He's maybe, not a talk to him, right? He, exactly. Maybe he does. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I don't know if they know who that is. I know a lot of people don't know who that is. Uh, but, I, but at the end of the day, I don't care. I think I he's a great coach. If he yeah. ended up being the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, I would be giddy. He's a, yeah. right near the top of my list, if not at yeah. the top. I love Andy Ludwig. There are several coaches where I don't care if fans don't like it or not. I don't. I care that it's a good hire. And and I don't care if fans are excited about a hire. If I if it's not a good hire, then I don't care. So that's kind of where I'm at, Ryan, is I just I, I care that it's a good hire. I don't care about the splashiness of it. Now, if it's both, great. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, in the end of the day, that goes away pretty soon. You know, that, that, that would be my thing. It, that goes away pretty soon. So anyway, um, but uh, Ryan, I, that's going to do it for the show. Tons of great questions today, everybody. I really appreciate y'all very, very, very much. A uh, lot of good questions. We're going to have, I believe, another show tonight. I think Vince and Sean or, or uh, Vince and Jesse or uh, Sean and Jesse or Sean and Vince. I think it's Sean and Jesse tonight, I think are going to be five at six o'clock uh, based on the conversation I had with Sean earlier. So they'll be live tonight at six o'clock on the IB Nation Sports Talk channel. Make sure, folks, before you leave, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Have a great, awesome rest of your day, and we will talk to you again on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>